We have a text for this morning. It is found in John 14, 1 to 3, a text very familiar to each of us. It contains the greatest words ever spoken from the lips of our Savior that brought comfort. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. This is indeed what my sermon is all about this morning, entitled, The Good Man of the House. What is my name? The New Testament does not disclose it, so why should I? Let me be known this morning simply for what I did. I lay no claim to goodness. I do not profess any fame, nor was I confronted with any unusual opportunity. The truth is, I was one of Christ's obscure friends, but I loved him. Oh, how I loved him. I counted it the highest privilege to do something for him. And this morning my memory of yesterday is just as clear as the realities of today. You see, I belong to that very large group of which so little is recorded in the scriptures. When and how you meet Jesus, it does not matter, be it by a book, the hearing of a sermon, an entreaty of a friend, listening to sacred music. What is of great importance is that you were irresistibly attracted to Jesus, which resulted in a deepening friendship nourished by hours of communion, strengthened by prayer and by praise, until you knew without a doubt that you belong to each other, now and for eternity. So what matters this morning if the New Testament is silent about my name? What did matter was the one act of service that I did for him, which I did because I loved him, and I did it not to be remembered. Would you for a moment consider the difference between duty and thoughtfulness, duty. You wait for the command. Thoughtfulness, you anticipate a request. Duty, you go the first mile as ordered to do so. Thoughtfulness, you go the first mile and then you go the second mile for love's sake. A dutiful son is one who finishes the task and then goes out to play. A thoughtful son 
finishes the task and then he stops mother is there something else I can do for you dutifulness is the cup of obedience filled to the very brim thoughtfulness is that same cup filled to the brim and running over flowing down the sides and so the question I am to ask you this morning is your Christian service characterized by extras going beyond the duty of call obedience why of course didn't Christ command if ye love me keep my commandments but true love it does not stop there love outruns duty well I must get back to my sermon I was thinking of how I might befriend Jesus I could not preach I could not debate I could not dissuade his enemies from their evil purpose I could not lead an army to rescue him it was very clear that he was not seeking to escape what could I do and then then it came to me what Jesus really needed was a place of retirement a quiet retreat to be alone with his disciples that they might keep the Passover together soon the idea gelled in my mind I would offer him my house I would give him the choicest room in my house you know I will never forget the glow that was in the eyes of Christ when I invited him to be my Passover guest for once he had been understood for once the desire of his heart had been realized we set a time and a place two of his disciples were to meet one of my servants you see in those days women always carried the water pot but as a secret sign a man was to carry a pitcher of water so the enemies would not know thus Christ last night before becoming a prisoner he was to be my guest in the upper room of my house oh I can see it as though it were yesterday there I was standing looking through the drapes I could see everything Jesus and his disciples were reclining on my couches John's head was upon the master's breast but as I looked at the Savior's face it revealed that he knew he was soon to be deserted that just ahead was suffering shame humiliation and the crucifixion but he didn't seem to care about himself his thoughts were only about his disciples when when would his disciples learn the lesson how true it is recorded in Matthew 20 28 the Son of Man came not to be ministered to but to minister and to give his life a ransom 
for many. As I was watching, I saw Judas, just at the left of Jesus, seated in the highest place of honor. I did not know then that he was a traitor, that he had just come from closing a deal to deliver Christ to the priests. But Jesus, he knew. Yet the look on his face, I'm still amazed. Did I not see Jesus wash the feet of Judas? Honoring him by serving him first? It just seemed that Jesus was hungering for his soul. His very eyes seemed to express love. How, how can I give thee up? Judas must have been deeply touched because he seemed so uneasy. His heart must have thrilled as Jesus touched his feet to wash them. How, how could he keep from confessing his sin? And then, then there was Peter, bless his heart. He explained, exclaimed in excitement and in astonishment. Well, let me read it to you. John 13, Lord, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. Then Peter said to him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. But Jesus said, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. He is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. In that book, Desire of Ages, page 646, I read, Christ had come to wash the heart from the stain of sin. In refusing to allow Christ to wash his feet, Peter was refusing the higher cleansing included in the lower. Listen again. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Jesus came and we are told, he said, he who comes from the bath was clean, but the sandaled feet soon become dusty and again need to be washed. So Peter and his brethren had been washed in the great fountain opened for sin and uncleanliness. Christ acknowledged them as his, but temptation had led them into evil and they still needed his cleansing power. Their hearts must be cleansed. Pride, self-seeking create dissension and hatred. All this Jesus washed away in washing their feet. A change was brought about. Looking upon them, Jesus could say, ye are clean. But can you imagine? Could it be possible? I am told today that in God's true church, when this blessed ordinance is announced, 
that in some of our churches, half of the people stay away. Some even go outdoors to visit and to talk and never participate. Some of our churches, to save embarrassment, hold this sacred sacrament on Friday evening or during prayer meeting. Why? Why, this is one of the greatest blessings of life. In fact, and mark my words, we are lost if we fail to participate in this sacred sacrament when we can. For it is still true, if I wash thee not, Jesus said, thou hast no part with me. Let me emphasize, this is the one service that I would make every effort to attain. If I had to miss one appointment with Christ, it will not be when he has made the provision for my soul cleansing. How I remember those words of the Savior. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. What a sanctified privilege of the members in this holy sacrament. In the place of Christ, to wash the feet of another, thus permitting Christ to wash away all past sins. Oh, I'm afraid I'm beginning to preach too much. Forgive me. But how the heart of Christ must grieve today to see so few take place and take a part in this act of salvation. A little later as I watched, I beheld the table scene. There was the Passover wine untouched by fermentation and the unleavened cakes prepared by my wife the sacred emblems to represent his unblemished sacrifice. The scripture records in Matthew 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to his disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. Oh, what words! I shall never forget them, my blood, shed for many, for the remission of sins. Tell me, friend, does the blood of Christ cover your life? This is my body, broken for you. 
Have you experienced dying to sin on Calvary in Jesus Christ? Am I becoming too personal? There was Jesus seated with the twelve, telling of his coming betrayal. I remember the words, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Immediately the room was filled with amazement. Consternation seemed to fill the air. One by one they asked, Lord, Lord, is it I? Suddenly Judas stands up and I see him go out into the night. Tell me, have you betrayed the master this last week by claiming to be what you know you are not? You may scoff at Judas, but is there one here today who has sold his Lord during this past week for far less than 30 pieces of silver? What do I mean? Sold him for some evil pleasure. Sold him for a cheap song. Sold him for an immoral TV program. Sold him for a wicked novel or sold him for a dirty joke. Remember, the one who could read the heart of Jesus can also read your heart. Go on, ask him the question, Lord, Lord, is it I? Oh, I plead with you, don't leave this holy place this morning as Judas did. For when he left, it was night a traitor's night of darkness forever. I plead with you, discover how Jesus longs to forgive you this very moment. Remember, he's knocking at your heart's door this very moment. And then there were those words, he who washed the feet of Judas longs to wash every heart from the stain of sin. You too may have been baptized. Judas was. You too may have had your feet washed. Judas did. And by Christ himself. You see, what really counts was your inner heart cleansed. Go on. Ask him the question, Lord, is it I? Is my heart cleansed? Is my all surrendered to thee? Is his blood covering every sin this morning? Is my name written in the book of life? After all, the communion service points to a soon coming. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, we read, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Till he come? Why, this implied he was about to leave. Did not he say, a little while, yet a little while I am with you? Whether I go, ye cannot come? It just seemed that fear filled the disciples' hearts. But then came those precious words. 
Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Suddenly, there seemed to be joy in the hearts of the disciples. And we can also add the words of John, Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, let no man take thy crown. Do I hear someone ask, what is the way of preparation? Perhaps you are like Thomas. Thomas said, Lord, show us the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I love those words. I am the way. For as Jesus displayed the love of God, so we may display him. God's last day prophet has expressed it in these words. In Desire of Ages 664, Jesus revealed no qualities and exercised no power that men may not have through faith in him. His perfect humanity is that which all his followers may possess if they will be in subjection to God as he was. And then, then came those soothing words just before parting. Looking at his disciples, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. As I watched, peace seemed to fill our hearts. I was thrilled. Now they were all standing, and I found myself joining in as they softly sang a hymn. And then I bid them good night. As they left for the Mount of Olives, I stood there. I was entranced. As I watched their figures disappear in the darkness. But I was in no hurry. It seemed that the very presence of Jesus still lingered in my house. Upon the couch where he had reclined. Upon the table his hands had rested. Upon the cup his lips had touched and that he had blessed. Suddenly it all came to me. A flood of joy filled my heart. This room in my house was holy ground. Here the master had eaten the last Passover. Here he had spoken the most tender words ever to be spoken from his lips. No longer would I use this room as I had before. I would keep it for my Lord should he ever return 
and I would keep it for his friends. So naturally, the disciples would return when they felt like it. And you will recall, it was here that they gathered Saturday night after the crucifixion and the burial of Christ. You can be sure I was waiting for them. I was standing by the door without words. I understood their feelings. They knew that they were always welcome in my upper room. And you are not surprised this morning when I tell you that it was here in this room that the women came running with the news of the resurrection. It was here in this room that Cleopas and his companions rushed all night long, coming all the way from Emmaus to reveal that the Lord had broken bread with them. And it was here that the risen Lord appeared with those charming words, peace, peace be unto you. And it was here in my room a week later that Judas, that Jesus appeared to Thomas, the doubting Thomas, and showed him his pierced hands and his side. I will never forget those words, be not faithless, but believing. And that's not all. It was here in my upper room that the Church of the New Testament was born. A hundred and twenty members with the mother of Jesus. It was here in my upper room that the disciples tarried for forty days as the Lord had commanded. It was here in this room that the Holy Spirit came like a rushing wind and filled the room with the power of God. Since that day, there has been many a glorious cathedral built to honor my Savior, but none, none can compare with my upper room. Countless communions have been held, but none were as holy as took place in my upper room. Oh, please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not boasting, for by now, I'm sure you realize that each of you has a room within your heart where Christ longs to hold a personal communion with you. May I remind you, it must be a large room, an upper room, furnished and prepared to receive him. This morning, I beseech you, give him the best room you have. He's knocking, and he wants to come in. Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. But you must open the door. And when you do, your heart must be subject to him and his will. I pray you, your room must be a secluded spot, away from the noise and the din of the streets, an elevated place, open to the stars and to eternity above. 
a place of meditation, for prayer, for study of God's word, for genuine godly devotion. Do you have such a room ready for him today? The poet has said, mid all the traffic of the way, turmoil without and within, make in my heart a quiet place and come and dwell therein. A little shrine of quietness, all sacred to thyself, where thou shalt all my soul possess, and I may find myself. A little shelter from life's stress, where I may lay me down and bear my soul in loneliness and know as I am known. A little place of mystic grace, myself and sin swept bare, where I may look upon thy face and talk with thee in prayer. And so once again this morning I ask, may I remind you to give him a furnished room? It may not be lavish, but it must be adequate, acceptable, and pleasing to Jesus. That's all he expects. A heart with attitudes and emotions in harmony with his spirit. We are invited. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. No bitterness, no wrath, no anger, no malice, but tenderness, full of love, forgiving as God has forgiven you. Such must be the furnishings of our heart. And finally, that all-important question, is your room ready today, now? When the disciples met my servant, they were not told, wait, I'm not ready. Don't make any excuse. I did not say, oh, I intended to provide, but I am not ready. Come tomorrow, and I will be ready. Alas, tomorrow he was on the cross. What folly if I had procrastinated. Thank God I did not. When the inquiry was made of my disciples, they said, all is ready. A large room is waiting, an upper room, a furnished room. Remember the master's words that have been translated in the revised version, in my father's house are many rooms. The tables are soon to be turned, for you and I are to be his guests. And in heaven, heaven's room is waiting now in the Father's house. It's a large room in my Father's mansion, Ellen White. Saw that table miles in length out of silver. 
God is ready. Christ is ready. The Holy Spirit is ready. The angels are ready. The room is ready. Are you ready? Is it in your heart today to say, Lord, I'm ready, will you stand? Amen. Amen. Loving Father, you see us standing. Our heart's longing is to be ready. Oh God, may the room in our heart be such this week that you will abide there continually. Give us a fellowship with you this week, God. May we feel thy hand in ours. As our prayers are answered, give us a cleansing. Give us, Lord, that peace that you gave to your disciples. My peace I leave with thee is our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.